This ripple won't fade. It'll grow and grow until it's a tidal wave. Welcome, everyone, to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hiya, Pete. Matt, dearest, why do I feel like you're going to tell me I didn't make the Little League All-Stars? Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., episode 308, Many Heads, One Tail, T-A-L-E, is brought to us by the good people at Ginsu Knives, who remind you the only thing better is a blowtorch. Pete, that certainly was a sharp introduction for this episode. And Pete, just a quick programming note. Uh, there is a there is a cold in my throat. There is an extra husk to my voice. That is the sign, Pete, of a new podcast coming. This Friday, of course, the Jessica Jones podcast starting. It wouldn't be the start of a new podcast season if I wasn't uh, coming down with a cold. As always, Matt, your new show, Dar. Uh, which results in your uh, infection is on point. Um, I am banking sleep so that I can get the remaining. Uh, I've done four. I've got uh, nine more hours of uh, Jessica Jones to cram in before uh, we podcast Friday night, our uh, pilot episode uh, recap. So uh, listen, man, everybody sacrifice it. Indeed, Pete. Well, that'll be our focus on Friday, but uh, let's not give this episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. short shrift a fantastic episode, and let's head to the debrief. debrief. When we catch you up on what went down, our tease here over a little octopus sushi, we have uh, the now-named Powers Booth character, Gideon Malik and Grant Ward talking about symbols, Matt, something that is ever-present throughout this Hydra-themed episode, that uh, octopus, great symbol here, intelligent, ruthless. Ward, of course, reminds Malik adaptable, just like he is. And... Uh, the idea of being the last head of the old guard comes up on Malik's end that the first time we hear about this rumor of the Von Strucker family vault, that it doesn't exist, but it's said to have their greatest power. With that, uh, Malik excuses himself and, uh, you know, the history lesson ends that the simple vendetta that uh, Ward is trying to satisfy doesn't really fit in with the plans that, uh, you know, he's just a predator, not on the top of the food chain. And uh, Ward then takes out a whole bunch of guys in the room, ultimately uh, culminating with uh, his use of a pool cue and uh, a knife in a guy's eye before he's got three guys there trying to, uh, figure out where this vault is who's on the bottom of the food chain now pete you must have felt so conflicted seeing hydra on hydra violence uh this is a lives matter matt (laughs) this is true um this is a scene that sets the table in so many ways for the episode 
first of all, we are so used to as TV viewers, as you know, podcasters, etc., podcast listeners, and so forth. We're so used to the teaser act setting up with clear and explicit exposition, the things that are going on, and that happens at the top of this scene. But you have Brett Dalton and Powers Booth sharing a scene, and it doesn't feel like it's a procedural. You know, we must make it clear that Powers Booth is Hydra. We are going to name him. We must. Have dialogue confirming the Paris booth is one of the heads of the Hydra Old Guard. It just it just seems to flow. I mean, same thing with, hey, we have a new thing that we're trying to get, the Von Strucker family vault. Like this is the new, this is the new MacGuffin of we're gonna go there because it's gonna be important for reasons that we aren't gonna say, or it's because of something in there, not the vault itself, et cetera, et cetera. But it just works. This is an episode that I will say lovingly is filled with tropes that normally don't work but darn it if the powers that be of agents of shield don't make it work the powers booths that be oh, it's as well and the, the the gravelly voice expositiony gravelly voice um but yes it it does work indeed and um to open up this next level mystery and matt i'm so glad that you properly pronounced an object uh, used to advance the plot, a MacGuffin that other podcast you listen to would have called it a McMuffin. <laughs> Not an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast, by no, the way. We all, no. of course, are all friendly friends. Um, but yes, there is there's an unnamed there's an unnamed wintry TV show that has a podcast where they give good insight. They just talk about um, Gene Powell Sartre and and things like that so luckily don't you know stick with us kids thanks for thanks for joining the the fantastic geek crew here as we know how to pronounce things uh properly and pete so glad that powers boothy is in this episode as we begin act one here there's discussion of the compound that was used to sedate andrew between colson and rosalind price uh, Colson refers to him having been one of the good ones that he was. No, he is one of the good ones. So we have to be careful not to talk about him in the past tense, although the end of the episode might uh, change that. We'll certainly have to discuss that in our level seven segment. Pete, good on you here to the show. I was convinced, in fact, my notes back this up. I was convinced that this particular scene was just really make it clear to the audience at home that that Andrew, though not going to be seen on screen for a while, the character is on pause and he will be back. And that was the function of this exposition. Uh, then they bring back Blair Underwood later on. You know, So again, it's kind of like we've seen this before where it's like, Okay, audience out there, we just want you to be really clear that he's going to come back for, like, May sweeps. Nope, they take that trope of, you know, to be continued at a later date and kind of flip it on its head a bit. Listen, when you get frozen in carbonite, it doesn't always mean we'll see you in three years. Wow, that uh, that is true. But uh, this issue and the growing distrust between these two organization shield and the atcu despite the perceived closeness of uh Roz and colson it's really kind of a uh of a cold war here matt um freezing people uh in gel aside 
um, you know, Mac makes a remark to Colson and he supports her and says, well, she'll, she'll talk when she's, she's ready. Uh, Pete, just want to, just want to quibble with one word of your analysis there. Not that I'm trying to outdo you. Uh, you said their perceived closeness. Oh, I think that they had, there was a physical closeness, Pete, that, that it's about as close as a man and a woman can be. I meant, I, I meant emotionally as yeah, that I, comes up in this. You, you can do, what do you call it, Matt? The beast with two backs. You can do that and, and not have it mean anything. Pete, from the possibility at this point in the episode, the two people have done the deed, but there hasn't been love. We then move to two people who haven't done the deed, but who are quickly falling in greater love. Yeah, and the irony here, the the wedge between them of uh, Will still stuck on that alien planet and Fitz trying to find the way back here. But, uh, you know, he's all upset that uh his stuff's been dropped here he calls these guys idiots simmons wants him of course to be nice but he's been going through pouring over these volumes of symbolic anthropology and come up again and again on the ram's head symbol that it's thousands of years old uh even told that it had been chiseled into the floor of uh various structures it wasn't in this scene, but there was a later Fitzsimmons scene where I, I said to myself, I didn't tweet it, I didn't text it, I didn't doubt I even had it in my notes, but I, I just kind of said, oh, this is clearly like the B story that's just, you know, not everything's going to be special effect shots in the jet or whatever. Um, I think we're supposed to be slightly bored with the Fitzsimmons scenes. Now, the emotional component is wonderful and not boring. But just in terms of the, like, this isn't action and intrigue. It's kind of like, oh, two people finally coming to an emotional resolution. It's it's a little less exciting than the rest of the story, which I think is almost by design. Because turns out both stories are on the same story, if you will. You mentioned you know, the special effects with the Quinjet. Can we just recognize that right now? And we'll recognize it again when we get to it in the episode. That was not a TV quality effect. That was a full on film effect. So big time kudos to uh, Mark Kolpak, who is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. special effects supervisor. Uh, that was stunning. That, that, yeah, that was. That was a, a doubtless difficult shot where you're going to be – you're inside a set and then you dolly out so that you can have effects all around the, the, the set of the, the Quinjet uh, cockpit. That's just bonkers. That's bonkers. That's where they're at where they can just be like, yeah, we're going to do this and sustain it for 15 seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is. It's a heck of a lot of money to do that. But before we can get to um, May and Lincoln in the Quinjet with that stunning uh, peel back there, we've got to get them together in this story. She, uh, May, has been giving uh, Lincoln apparently uh, hate stares um, the whole time he's been at S.H.I.E.L.D. HQ and uh, telling Daisy this on top of the fact that he thinks they all live together like Keebler elves. Yeah, shout out to the cookies. What, what? <laughs> By the way, these three... Yell fudge, yo. <laughs> these three scenes here are uh, 
held together by a narrative glue that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. keeps returning back to, and I mean it in the best sense, um, we had the cut to Fitz and Simmons, and then they see May, and the camera sticks with May briefly enough for her to pass Lincoln and Daisy, who then talk about May and so on and so forth. Uh, I am not aware of other shows doing that to the degree that S.H.I.E.L.D. does, where they just keep kind of a concurrent storyline going where if we're all going to be in the base or if we're all going to be talking to people in the base that we're going to go from you know the plane to the radio call back to the base to the person who's walking out of the radio room to down the hall to the person like that kind of bump 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 bum, where they keep it all literally narratively connected uh it, it's been a while since i remember seeing it and uh as i said it's it i feel like it's only shield that does it to this degree the old hallway handoff but uh, as Daisy and Lincoln are talking, and as we've already mentioned with the forthcoming Fitzsimmons kiss, Lincoln brings up that they have kissed, that that happened. Yeah, the, I, I guess it's supposed to address it, but they kind of just seem so cool with each other that, I don't know, it's, you know what, Pete? Maybe it's because it's because Chloe Bennett has the social media presence that she does and her and her boyfriend are occasionally on there. Like, I just kind of keep looking at Lincoln like, oh, man, that son from The Walking Dead is going to come and get you. You better watch out. Wait, no, wait. <laughs> Lots of those things aren't real. And the things that are real don't affect this show. It, ah, it's too much pop culture. Kind of looks like them, too. Yeah. They, they, they do look like they've got the, the scruffy, dirty bond thing happening. Okay, but, uh, you know, relationships, intimate relationships really, um, you know, driving this show this week. We get Mac talking with Colson here and he comes out point blank and he asks if uh, Colson is sleeping with Roz. He says he likes Roz, uh, but they have other issues. And then we get to Operation Spotlight. Indeed, Pete. Luckily, uh, Colson has all 30 of the staff uh, assembled <laughs> at the bottom of the stairs. Um, the, the director of the episode decided to pepper uh, the extras with cast members in, in betwixt the crowd. Um, that Pete is where it's revealed that he wants S.H.I.E.L.D. to look into the shadowy corners of the well, the Roz group that I always miss, miss state. Um, and ATCU. Uh, ATCU. See, in my notes, it's ACTU. So that's why I paused. I'm glad. Advanced Pete, Threat Containment Unit. Oh, and I just, I just call it Roz's little group that in no way is connected to Hydra. Uh, glad to see in this scene, Pete, a little bit of a twist on uh, you know, kind of your standard gender norm traditional story of he's all got you know goo goo gaga for her and whatnot uh i'm glad to see that uh he hasn't been fooled by uh lil colson there <laughs> wow the techno babble you know we're gonna give points for storytelling but you know the the techno babble that the uh, containment unit that they have will be able to help them hack into the, the system. Okay, from a logistics standpoint, we'll allow it, but still a little wonky, um, you know, and that the new guy here uh, winds up with Agent May. Does that answer concerns, Matt? Of course 
it does for Mac, but it raises a whole new bunch of questions. Gee whiz, Pete, putting two characters that have such tension between them in the same confined space, that might lead to dialogue and some sort of resolution between them. Act two, and apparently no time at all has gone, uh, has passed with Ward and his three Hydra friends who he's interrogating. Um, first, a little torch, er, with a blowtorch. And then uh, once one finally breaks and reveals that uh, Gideon Malik has been to Germany, the uh, town of Zefkow is revealed. Um, Ward, of course, puts everybody down that he lied, that uh, he's been to many of the Von Strucker vaults. He just didn't know about Zefkow. And yeah. Pete, I love the character affect that the guy who breaks and gives him the information, Ward shoots for having been a poor Hydra operative. Um, I also... Yeah, you don't give that stuff up, man. Come on. Everybody knows that. I dig the storytelling conceit that we we ended the teaser act with the presumption of there he's got the knife in hand and it's, oh, he kills the three people off screen. Um, I kind of like that we then return to it. I mean, I agree. It's a little wonky time-wise. They're, they're playing... They're, you know, they're playing with things a little bit. It's a little bit of a cheat, but again, it's something else in this episode where we've seen other shows do this and it kind of... You, you go, oh, you made a trick to fool me and I feel fooled and now I resent it. Whereas here, it just kind of... There's a spring to it where you go, oh, they're not dead. Okay. And then they're clearly going to, you know, die pretty quickly. Even Pete beardo who kept quiet and would have been a good hydra guy pete it's almost like ward is some sort of maniacal um villain here uh incapable of sympathy towards his fellow man but don't worry i know he's redeemable price arrives at the playground here not sure if she was in albuquerque or albania she has her phone re-enabled something that had been disabled for the trip in a little bit of a uh, Chekhov's gun if you will for later or Price's phone if you want to call it that but between um, Zephyr 1 and uh, the ATCU facility we start to move things into this middle section of the story where there's a lot of action back and forth with uh, what what's intended to be a heist, but of course doesn't work out that easily. And Pete, uh, as we have this scene here where Daisy is pinging the secret base with a homing signal and whatnot, I'll disagree with something uh, that you said earlier. I don't know if this whole uh, IT portion of the story is um, like, you know, real world true to how this all works. I thought that for for at least the fictional narrative, to me, to me, it made sense that when you make it look like you're trying to track the thing, but you're doing it overly, um, you're doing it to be caught, but they don't know it. That then opens the door where they need to respond to trying to be tracked, um, and somehow, although it's not entirely clear, somehow they call Mac pretending to be the FBI, and then he sends fake FBI. Like, I'm not saying it's 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 without a couple holes in it but i kind of felt like okay this is what they're offering up that they're sending a thing that's going to be intentionally caught so they can then swoop in to save the day 
to me it to me it worked. I didn't mind the contrivance of the Trojan horse aspect. What I did mind was okay, HTTP forward slash, and again for some comedic effect. But I just think you know it it stopped the story in its tracks a couple times the reliance of that techno babble fair enough fair enough i think to me it was a neat way to put the tech person the tech person's knowledge in with the the best agent that they have or at least you know it was it was fantastic to see nick blood playing hunter playing this you know disaffected whatever man kind of hacker type that's been caught and now works for the good guys to me it was just it was a good bit of fun damn the yanks indeed but between the atcu uh official it guy explaining that uh you know not even their their employees keys get past here and then uh Roz back on the tour getting her phone and and uh talking to those guys that uh, it could be the containment device uh, including calling uh, Colson dearest, and uh, you know that that was really what worked in this episode was was the the repartee between uh, Constant Zimmer and uh, Clark Gregg in their respective roles that they shut this down, and uh, then the real games afoot. It is because of those two actors that. The whole kind of who done it or who's the real baddie here that it works and it works all the way until there's you know proof to resolve it one way or the other. It's just these two pros selling it, you know. Stop the end, you know. Bottom line, that's that's what these two actors bring. And as he says, you know, you can't blame a guy for trying, but uh, she'll tell him, well, it's lucky you're cute. This this back and forth is just very very effective and wonderfully delivered by these two actors from there it's back to Fitzsimmons and uh the conclusion by Gemma that Will was sacrificed dun 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 yeah again this is each time we cut back to Fitzsimmons in this story I think that I was somehow underestimating it I was watching I was taking notes I was locked into the story but the fact that they are slowly feeding us bits and pieces, which are going to be uh, much more valuable by the end of the episode, it's you know it's it's so effective, and you don't notice it. Otherwise, you know the this scene just kind of comes off as oh, she's finding things in the oldie timey books, and and there still is a chill between the two. You know, it's 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 such an, an innocuous presentation. Um, that, that they're hiding this wonderful present, which is the twist at the end. Along with what's happened to Andrew, she, she says she's getting a sinking feeling here and uh, that you never really know who is next to you. We whisk to Ward on a commercial airline. Uh, he's chatting up the flight attendant, Matt, is the politically correct term here. And, uh, you know, talk of uh, headed to Moscow. She's got some time off coming up. Uh, but this was the only flight going over Zefkow, at which point he whispers 
into her ear and we just get this blank expression <laughs> that registers. And then uh, she sits and she straps herself in. Ward goes over the, uh, the PA and uh, announces that the pilot will be diving here to uh, equal off the cabin pressure. And that all of us here at Hydra want to thank you for flying the friendly skies. Boom. This is such a wonderfully presented scene. I mean, how, how uh, Brett Dalton goes from being so charming and so affable to just twisting it around kudos to the actress who you know who is is of uh much lesser uh renowned but but does such a wonderful job just the fear that she shows that sells the scene and um i mean pete is there any question that what he says that they will all freeze to death is there any question that that is the case and he has killed oh i don't know a couple hundred people i mean it's Did not you not shown. just hear the dialogue? He said that he was going to the pilot would be diving so that they could equal off the cabin pressure. The the understanding from dialogue of that scene, Matt, is that they all survive, that he just punched out. But he, he does make reference to they're all going to freeze to death. If he if the pilot doesn't dive. Ah, which he... of course he does. So Ward did not kill 200 people today. He just killed like three. Listen, he only kills family members who uh, ruined his life. These these poor people on the plane, this is like, hey, you know, you're the only flight headed over where I need to go. So I'm going to do you a favor while I'm going to blow a hole in, in, the, in the door here. My bad. You know, I'm going to let you know that the, the pilot's going to dive and you guys are going to be OK if, if you do that. <laughs> so, so there is a little niceness to him, I suppose. You, Pete, once again, you and Hydra win. <laughs> Act three here features Fitz looking back over those symbols that date back again thousands of years. And uh, Simmons laments the fact that suddenly there were NASA missions sent to uh, try to figure out what was going on on the other side of the portal, at which point stop is uttered rather forcefully in this conversation. Indeed, Simmons tells Fitz he needs to stop trying to do all the right things and Pete if this just doesn't capture the 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 tension between two people between a, a girl and a guy if this just doesn't capture that that elemental tension i don't know what does well speaking of tension roz is in colson's office here she's looking at the effects of a shield lifer who she learns and we do as well that he had been recruited out of college he had been studying history came a little too close to shields history and they brought him aboard but uh she's surprised that so much in his office is analog the opposite of course of digital which he points out is all too accessible to infiltration which is going on as we speak at the atcu with hunter and the messages Daisy is giving him over his earpiece. 
it, it really it's an elegantly put together scene we have exposition character background uh that just being the front for this delaying action while uh mocking hunter uh, gets deeper and deeper and uh, you know pete i know we disagree on this i dug the slow typing it was it it was um i mean a little unbelievable but but i think it was within within the fun of the show that daisy points out they're unwittingly giving them access here uh brings everything to a head as far as getting where they need to only till we learn a couple scenes later it's not exactly what they think um Mac, meanwhile, has told Lincoln that Agent May is looking for him. So they're getting ready to go on their part of the mission. Um, Bobby uh, checks her phone and heads into another part of the ATCU facility where uh, she's going to check if there are any inhumans and possibly grab um, the cure that they are working on. But uh, it's at this point that uh, Lincoln gets into the Quinjet with May and they have that tremendous uh, peel back effect there launching off of the Zephyr one. Side note, I don't know that he uh, put on his seatbelt. Um, just just <laughs> words the wise for the future. Um, I want to do that. As, yeah. Soo- yeah, as soon as that Heine hits the chair, you buckle in and then you kind of have you know, let's have the heart to heart to resolve our kind of elemental differences as to the, the quality of a person that an inhuman can be, so on and so forth. Matt, I can't move my um, my car from one parking space to the parking space adjacent to it without putting on my seatbelt. I don't know why you'd ever uh, get into a vehicle without one. But fasten them seatbelts, Matt, all you Fitzsimmons shippers. Oh, that was a seamless because, transition, Pete. Wow. Oh, it's and, all. And it, and Pete, it's about it's about to get steamy up all in, in here with the Fitzsimmons. Yes, because when your fight ends in, uh, you, you're not your first fight ends in your very first kiss. It's a big deal. Pete, that is, that is uh, what they call leveling up when it goes from having a fight of love and then pete then it's just it's just it's just a guy and a girl pete they got three four phds between them but you know what pete they have something even even bigger even greater between them and that's love pete and then she looks down and sees something yeah uh he's lamenting that they are cursed that you know everything has conspired against them in the way that their unfortunate romance has developed to this point. And, uh, you know, what she sees down on the floor there amongst the volumes of uh, symbolic anthropology isn't revealed to us just yet. Indeed, indeed. Could have been slightly mis- misread, but uh, we, we, we keep it TVPG, thank goodness. Pete, with that, who's back? Bobby's back. All right. Yes, and who's not is Andrew. Uh, what? He has a PhD in psychology, been reduced to a specimen, but he's not there. Instead, he's with Gideon Malik, 
Goku says he is so sorry about everything. He introduces himself to uh, Dr. Garner and to us by extension by name for the very first time. Um, Garner reveals that he knows how pharmaceuticals work, that, uh, you know, they're not working on something the proper way that it would take much longer for them to do this. And Malik wonders aloud if, uh, Dr. Garner, also known as Lash, even wants a cure, that this is an invasive alien contagion and that shield did not shield him from it. Pete, I have a question for you here, and I don't think it's level sevenable. Uh, but prior in the episode, Malik had... Uh, oh, in fact, when Malik excused himself from Ward, he made reference to an appointment that he'd been waiting for for a long, long time. Uh, apparently that appointment is Andrew. The thing is, Andrew was only caught, like within the last 24 hours or so. So maybe it was just kind of pithy writing, or maybe it was like, they've I, been... I think so. It, it was bad guy mustache twirling dialogue, which to be fair, when you have your, your, uh, assistant come and get you. And then three killers come in to kill the guy you were having drinks with. I think you get to twirl your mustache a little bit. They were having octopus. Not a metaphor. <laughs> um, and it's at this point that we're back with Bobby, who tells Daisy and the others that Andrew isn't there, that there are no inhumans being held there, that they are not working on a cure, but she instead sees shelves full of fish oil pills in bottles. There's then a cold room that uh, she looks into and that it's revealed that the ATCU is playing the odds that they are turning people into inhumans to find them. Pete, there's so many twists in this episode. It's quickly turning into like a knot or a pretzel, you know, German and all. Ah, but, uh, yeah, Col yeah. Colson and Roz wind up in a similar containment room. Um, and, and he tells her that now you need to convince me that you're not Hydra. Locking her in there with him, um, which certainly is a great way to have dialogue, but um, doesn't necessarily give the sense that she's going to be in there indefinitely as long as he's in there. But Pete, with that tension and with uh, Hunter seeing Roz's uh, number two guy, with all that tension, what do we do? We end an act. Our fourth act opens in the very same spot here. Roz wants to know what the hell Phil is doing, and he tells her this is her final chance to come clean, that he wasn't playing games, and she says that she wasn't playing games here. But uh, emotional pleas back and forth go unanswered. Pete, all I know is this. There's no way that both of them are telling the truth because that would just blow my mind. Or could be the thing. <laughs> but, but in the Quinjet, uh, Lincoln is uh, telling May here that he's torturing. I'm sorry, she's torturing him. And she finally breaks her silence and say, says that she had been trying to figure out what to say to him, that she wants to apologize, that uh, she should have known about Andrew. And she's really taking this uh, personally. 
it's it's an earned scene. I think it's also a necessary scene because we've spent these uh, seven episodes with like, hey, Lincoln uh, is part of the show now, but he's not exactly like part of the team. And this is kind of the last uh, the last hurdle before. You know, he gets his own set of yellow spandex with a big red X on, and they say, <laughs> Welcome aboard, friend. We're going to call you Electricity Guy, man. Linktricity? Linktricity. There you go. See, Pete, I had the rough draft. You brought it on home. <laughs> it's like I'm but, the penciler uh, and you are the inker. They get interrupted, of course, by Daisy, who tells them that Bobby and Hunter may need extraction sooner. Um, it's at this point that a guard comes into the lab where uh, Bobby is, and uh, Bobby tells Hunter that she needs her briefcase. Um, great comedic effect here that he's able to throw the coffee at the uh, the IT guy. And uh, the number two for... Uh, the ATCU, whose name escapes me and really isn't important, gives chase. Indeed, Pete. I like that. Uh, I mean, like, again, this is just kind of the standard, you know, kind of spy stuff. Oh, no, it's all falling apart. Hey, the gadget that I need is far away from me. But it just works. It's it, it's it's compelling action. Um, and then, of course, you add to it uh, what's going to be happening shortly. I don't want I don't want to go out of order here, but. The forthcoming fight, you know, is is good stuff indeed as well. So uh, all around, you know, lots of fun to be had. Back with the tension between Coulson and Roz, she says, of course, they're not keeping in humans at the facility. Um, but he tells her that she slipped up on Tahiti, that uh, there would have been no other way that he would have known that unless she got her intel from Hydra. Um, and the concept of enhanced specimen control rears its ugly head. This is kind of the point where I think we are slightly ahead of things because we're saying, wait, if she had a Hydra source, hold on. I know somebody who's involved with Hydra who was seen talking to her. Uh, not all the fake outs done yet, though. Really, you know, really a well-constructed episode, but slowly rolling out some of these twists and turns. And she connects the dots here for Coulson that she got weekly reports from Gideon Malik. Oh, yeah. You know, the industrialist who served on the World Council, who was in the shadows in the Avengers. But wait, Pete, isn't Operation Spotlight supposed to shine a light into some of those shadows? It is. Wait, you're telling me the Hydra had people placed as high as the World Security Council? Yes, we're everywhere. But wait, but but pulled him in time before the great reveal of Hydra. It really all works okay. together nicely. It really, really does. Like this, I I cannot imagine that they said, "Hey, Powers Booth, we don't want you to be in Captain America too, because in two years we want you to be on Agents of Shield to have a six episode run or whatever." It just works, though. They there was this golden goose of he's not in Captain America two. What's he up to? How did he know things were going to go bad before they went bad? It just works. It's wonderful. It's such a great payoff for the audience. 
Well, in in light of the later reveal in the episode, it almost makes the Hydra stuff. I mean, not almost. It does make the Hydra stuff like, you know, that's that's pawn stuff. Okay, there's a much bigger game being played with what they want to bring back to this world, and that Shield has brought somebody back. But we'll get to that. The Tahiti intel came from Gideon Malik. Uh, Roz admits, and. Uh, that they're bringing people and putting them in stasis. Um, not all of them, Matt, are in stasis, all of these inhumans, as we quickly learn. Indeed, back to mocking hunt we go. They're cornered, and then the guy who is not still in stasis, and we saw his file, somebody who I like to call Pete, Mr. Magnets, uh, he all of a sudden shows up, he picks up two guns with those magnetic powers, and Pete, he just starts firing. But it's Act 5, Matt, which means uh, they can't die, right? So they're quickly safe behind a desk, Bobby and Hunter. And uh, she looks to level the playing field by placing her wrists in some kind of unlocking thing and uh, throwing her batons. Pete, I actually can, uh, I can reveal the origin of the Mocking Magnet. Um uh fans know the abc is owned by disney the largest disney shareholder is uh the the wife of the late steve jobs steve jobs apple okay what we saw was the prototype for the iphone 7 plus 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 which is going to be the size of a briefcase because you need it okay <laughs> And that's the origin um, of the mocking magnet. It's all it's all under the the, the the Uber umbrella here. It's a rather interesting fight with the mechanic of the magnetism built in there. She throws the batons a couple times. He, of course, protects himself. The two guards on the other sides of him, however, are not as lucky. And as Roz is pressing Colson to let her call her people um hunter comes in to save the day here and knocks the guy out from behind and then the number two here of the atcu banks tells them to come with him if they're worried they can't trust him they can worry on the move michael banks saying let's fly let's fly let's fly the May is en route. The parking lot opens there to reveal a, um, a helipad. And uh, then we get back to Ward with a gun on Gideon, admitting that he's hardly ever impressed here, but uh, that he cut through those Hydra guards he left behind, like cake, that uh, he had thought that Ward was working the wrong angle. But he just might be Hydra's second head next to him, of course. Well, they do say two heads are better than one. But, Pete, this is a super effective scene for a bunch of reasons. First of all, I think they pull off the Tomb Raider aspect to it, the dusty old vault, despite the fact that they surely must have been running low at, uh, on money for this scene. Of course, they don't shoot this stuff you know, in, in the order that we see it. But with all these digital effects, with a lot of the fighting effects going on, digital components to the Mr. Magnets versus Mocking Magnet fight, etc., 
you kind of don't have a lot of um, reason to, you know, like build out what's going to look like, you know, I don't know, uh, Ocean's Eleven style vault here. Um, still, just kind of the the set dressing um, sells it. The way Ward kind of, you know, there's some sort of circle-y, cutty thing that he, you know, zips down on. Um, it all just works. And then, Pete, we get something that ordinarily does not work on TV. The reveal that the story that you knew is now going to be supplanted by a secreter, more pastorier story from the past. Well, it's ironic that the subject is Ward rebooting Hydra when it was apparently the Red Skull who rebooted what was OG Hydra. Um, you know, Gideon asks Ward what he knew about the origin of this organization that he serves in Hydra. And he, of course, functions as most viewers, spits back the, the Red Skull you know, World War II story. But uh, Malik reveals that the Red Skull was just following what came before, that Hydra was much older than that, that it's as ancient as this stone that he then produces. Um, but he says, uh, make sure that you watch it because it's going to change. And now we're connecting all of the narrative dots throughout this season and the end of last that this stone and stones like it and, you know, that it's in a cubicle section there before it liquefies, of course, meant to be evocative of the Tesseract, the other uh, MacGuffin that Hydra has been in possession of in the past. But it had been cut from a larger stone, that it does its thing. And uh, we get back to uh Roz who's explaining as this is going on that when um she was recruited in 01 at NASA that uh this symbol had been something that she had seen before and that it's thousands of years old um and Malik is now going on about how there was an inhuman born on this planet with the stones uh liquefaction they were able to transport someplace else and that uh, Hydra had each generation sent people through and now they are to build an army for whatever entity is on the other side. And uh, Ward, like us, remarks that this is a lot to take in. Pete, it's just a remarkable reveal here. Uh, you need someone of the the gravitas and experience, uh, such as Powers Booth, to really pull it off, which is a rewriting of of so much that has come before it, so much that's elemental to this show in terms of Hydra and its origins. Um, you know, back to the the first Captain America movie and all that, but it's all pulled off. Uh, Malik's speech intercut with the evolution of uh, the logo to the Hydra logo. And, I mean, it's just, we're watching the show get um, predefined ahead of the, the, the second half of the season. Now, we're not there yet. We have two more episodes before the winter break. But they're clearly starting that transition now. And there's a playfulness at the same time to Powers Booth's delivery here as Malik. Uh, he says, well, it's a tall tale. Um, whether or not we're fully meant to believe this, that this could be some level of misdirect. 
but um, you know, they're closer to, to the final chapter here that they could cut off the head of shield, but shield has brought somebody back. Dun, dun, dun. With that, we end the act. Our tag scene has uh, Dr. Garner pounding on the window of his containment unit here. A guy comes in, thinks he might talk to him, and of course he doesn't, goes away. And then we get the reveal that Ward is in the room here. He says that uh, he could use a session with the doc, but uh, he's been learning here. And uh, Garner tries to intimidate him. Do you do you feel powerful here? You're going to die with a hole in your chest. And Ward then uh, injects his chloroethyl sulfide, whatever. You know, basically it's mustard gas. And um, he wants to thank Garner here for helping him find closure. He thought he knew the best ways to bring Melinda pain. And she thinks... Garner's a monster. Or, I'm sorry, Ward's a monster. Of course, Garner is a monster. More proof there, Pete, as to the evil nature of Ward. I'll admit I was a little surprised that we didn't see Lash's return in this episode. But why would we do that, Pete, when we can end with a cliffhanger? The Dossier. A detailed look at our bad guys. First up here, Matt Gideon Malik. Pete, there is no ambiguity in this, an episode with twists and turns and revelations galore, that Gideon Malik is a bad guy. Pete, he has Mal in his name. It means bad. <laughs> he okay. Must, he must be bad. It's uh it's name generation 101. Okay. Give him a biblical first name. Give him a last name, you know, Skywalker, something like that. <laughs> Darth Vader, Dark Father, okay, Gideon Malik. Let's let's make it old and bad. <laughs> Enough said. I mean, thank goodness they got Powers Booth for this, though. I mean, they've done a great job. The show has historically of getting, you know, actors of a certain age, particularly some of the male actors that they have that are really. You know, that really add a special energy and a unique energy. Um, but he just, I mean, my goodness, Powers Booth could just read the phone, bo- phone book, not the phone booth. <laughs> <laughs> he could read the phone book in a phone booth and it would still be compelling. Ooh, great uh, pivot there. The, the, the gravitas, you know, everything delivered like this. Listen, Patrick Swayze, I'm going to tell you what those Russians have done. That type of thing. Okay. Um, and for him to be the voice of exposition, you know, it was, it was bounced around from a couple, uh, people on Twitter, you know, he's, he's, he's given, uh, Michael Douglas a run for his Marvel exposition money so far this year with the, uh, the Hank Pym stuff, but, uh, you know, well done. I, I like where we are at the end of the episode with this you know, much more sprawling mythology. I'm, uh, I'm anxious to see where it goes. We've got a two-week break, Matt. Well, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has a two-week break. We'll just be <laughs> podcasting on through for Jessica Jones. But, um, yes. yeah, kind of a curious scheduling decision, something we had, we had heard rumors about and got confirmed by some, some agents on the inside uh, ahead of the announcement. But, hey, whatever, it's all good. You, you do what you got to do. 
How about Ward here, Matt, in this episode between taking down rather brutally these guys, not taking down an airplane, only blowing a hole in it, and then uh, the woe moment when he learns he's uh, part of a much bigger, perhaps even more dastardly legacy. Pete, the the sadism of Ward, the the evil to the core of Ward that's all on display in this episode. And I honestly don't get how some people genuinely believe in the, the notion of uh, redemption for Ward here. Um, I would even wonder, Pete, and as I've said many times before, I want to see Brett Dalton in the show. He's fantastic. Um, you know, he's obviously been here since the beginning, but there is reference made at one point to, uh, I think it's by Andrew, but somebody makes reference to him catching a bullet. I don't think it's Andrew's reference to you know, hole in your chest, but regardless, I'm officially wondering, hey, are they setting up some foreshadowing for having Ward exit the series? Because the show has... Um, has grappled, in my opinion, with what exactly to do with, uh, you know, with Brett Dalton and with this character when he's clearly not the baddie of the week every week. Well, it would be rather incongruous to get rid of him at this point. The the thing that needs to happen, the, the summation of at least his long-term storyline is his involvement with Daisy and they're going to have to share screen time again and at least resolve that relationship between the two of them. Um, you know, that was a scarring, uh, you know, uh, aspect uh, chapter in her life there when shield fell and, and when she was, uh, alone with him um you know late in season one and and had to uh use her wits to work her way out of that situation so it would really be short-sighted narratively if that doesn't all come around um won't rule out that he could certainly be on the series past that what if matt again my role as devil's advocate here, seemingly with the devil. What if this whole thing and, and Hydra and what's on the other side of the portal and, and building an army for it, it's, it's one thing to take out your fellow man. What if this is a bridge too far for Ward and the idea of not world domination, but now extraterrestrial involvement in this is just a, a bridge too far for him. And maybe this could be the fulcrum to flip him back. I think that the audience would accept that under the right circumstances. And what you're saying is kind of this extraordinary circumstance where he's going to, you know, value life on earth, value humanity uh, versus the other options. So I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not saying Ward's redemption is impossible. I'm just saying they have to do it in a way where it's more than like, Oh man, you know what? I I choose not to kill anymore, and I want to come home. Phil, can I get can I get a bunk bed? Um, th- we are predisposed to accept whatever it is that the writers give us, but it has to has to you know uh, be be well executed. 
And let's remember that, you know, everywhere you turn these days, when it comes to Ward and the producers of the show, they are the ones to float the word redemption. Well, got to got to keep the fans stoked. Yeah. Um, how about Roz here? Matt winds up being quite a bit of misdirection. Is she with uh, Malik's Hydra is she not? She winds up uh, giving us value, valuable information towards the end of the episode as far as what had happened previously in her career. Can we fully trust her? I think by the end of the episode, we are definitely meant to. And I think that this is the twist on the twist on the twist on the twist, which is we were always kind of suspicious of her. Then we thought she were was cool. Boom, they punch us in the gut at the end of last <clears throat> last week's episode. And no, she's actually a baddie. And then by the end of the episode, it's like, no, we actually have learned to trust her. I think that's where it's going to settle. And finally, a new inhuman to our ranks here. The so-dubbed Mr. Magnets. Pete, I could imagine a story where Mr. Magnets leads the opposition, a, a, you know, a brotherhood of inhumans leads them against the powerful and cerebral forces of our of our um somewhat incapacitated although i won't say handicapped i will say handy capable uh cerebral leader um but i don't think that's this story i feel like that's something else that's some other other universe out there um, well, if he ever settled down he could have you know a a, a family uh one child the daughter could have some magic powers and the other could just be really fast pete i'm not saying that mr magnets was the father of such twins but i'm saying that in an alternate universe he could be welcome to level seven time to analyze and theorize matt is lash dead nope and there's your teaser act in two weeks time episode 309 <laughs> it's going to be word walking out chuckle chuckle cut to the glass mimic james cameron hand uh joy shot hand on the glass hand <laughs> joy shot you see pete in titanic there's a scene where jack and rose play adult huggy kissy face and at the moment of her joy her ultimate womanly uh, joy her hand goes on the glass hand joy happening <laughs> no 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 i don't think that that's what andrew is up to um that doesn't cut the mustard gas um, but you're going to see that it's going to be Pete, the mottled giant hand of Lash, for he has transformed. And in Lash form, Pete, he is impervious to mustard gas. It's just science. Fish pills. Uh, the phrase here, um, enhanced specimen control. What's going on here? They are purposely infecting people with the Terrigen to find more of them. We're, we're certainly led to believe that based on Mr. Magnets and any other Inhumans, the ATCU or Hydra now might have up their sleeves. Yeah. I kind of dig the, the affect of it that they're they're uh, in the midst of an inhuman arms race. So they are trying to find people that they can control to to bring to their side because they 
they know shield is out there they know you know i mean if nothing else pete you have to have a bunch of people who can protect bands together protect everybody you know you got the avengers maybe you need the anti-avengers whatever it is um to me to me it's it's a fun portion of story finally matt the big reveal here the connection the touchstone of red skull that character last seen teleporting to somewhere else in the universe but a pretty big narrative thread left out there particularly with the idea that uh the actor um who played him hugo weaving your your favorite from the lord of the rings yeah no my favorite from the matrix trilogy um not my favorite from lord of the rings or lord of the hobbits or lord of the little people lord of the dance whatever that thing you watch but um not a fan of uh the marvel universe not a fan of uh of course the uh um uh, makeup he had to go through for that uh wonderful effect there um certainly made to sign a multi-picture deal but has not reappeared um there are other incarnations of the Red Skull, and certainly, certainly we are led to believe through the evolution of that ram's head logo there to the skull that it could indeed be Red Skull on the other side of this or something similar or worse. Let's start back. Let's start by working backwards here. It, it to me, it strikes me as extremely unlikely that, given the public and bad blood that Hugo Weaving had with his Marvel experience, that he would be back to play Red oh, Skull. No, I wasn't. I wasn't ever positing he'd be the guy. <laughs> now I'm reminded, particularly, you know, here we are, a month removed from, uh, you know, Back to the Future Day and all of that. Uh, you definitely cannot give the impression that Hugo Weaving is in something when he's not in it. So you're not going to see Desert Planet Red Skull on his upside down back brace hover thing. You're not going to see him, you know, and, and well, I guess whatever other versions of that there might be. Um, the notion, though, that it's Red Skull, because that still is a character. You could, you know, put a guy with some red paint on him. It's not going to, you know, be a be a. Uh, you know, situation like with Back to the Future 2, um, that's a really interesting idea. It's kind of direct, you know, like, oh, we are Hydra. Oh, look, here's Hydra guy. Um, I'm going to vote no, but leave it open as a possibility. There was, Matt, a uh, time when a man by the last name of Malik did assume the Red Skull mantle in Marvel comic history. Ooh, well, that's fun. So not saying that's where it's going. I'm saying that it, the potential is there. Pete, we are all one bubbly goo vat of red chemicals away from becoming the next Red Skull. <laughs> not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> Open the mailbag, Matt. Let's check the wire. Pete, want to thank our pal, Dr. Bob. Uh, who had uh, sent us a link to uh, Entertainment Weekly talking about the return dates uh, for uh, the ABC midseason uh, shows. Top of the list. Here we are, Pete. We have yet to start Jessica Jones. 
Bob already has us looking ahead to uh, Agent Carter returning, which is that first Tuesday in January, which is what we had assumed. Uh, similar format to last year. It's going to be uh, two episodes in a row, 8 to 11 at night, and uh, and then away from the races there. Nine more weeks straight through. I guess that's pending a uh, State of the Union from the POTUS. Um, but uh, then I believe it's, I don't have it in front of me, even though I'm looking at his email, uh, then after the conclusion of those uh those nine weeks, uh, Shield returns. The date for that is uh, March uh, 8th. Um, so here we are, Pete. We're not even done with the, the fall half of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're not even at Jessica Jones yet, but we already know when the Agent Carter podcast by Fantastic Geek picks up for season two and when this podcast resumes in March. And we are ever grateful for uh, that little uh, heads up there. You know, there's a there's a lot of flux right now, given everything that uh, Marvel is producing. Um, when you count uh, the four TV shows that we've seen snatches of and the fifth that they're working on right now in uh, Luke Cage. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot to keep track of. And uh, yeah, thanks for helping us out. Matt, we have a new uh, iTunes review. This one was left on the Fantastic Geek uh, Pop Culture podcast uh, account on iTunes, but certainly references our work here on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and throughout our various Marvel podcasts. It was left by Thistle Thorn, and the headline is Great Podcast, Five Stars. I was subscribed to each individual podcast that Fantastic Geek puts out, but decided it was just easier to have the one referring here to what we call the flagship account. Uh, Matt and Peter do a great job and are very knowledgeable about the many shows they cover, giving both the good and the bad. I can't imagine not being able to listen to them talk about the many branches of the Marvel Universe. Keep up the great work, guys. Smiley face. Well, you have me smiling, Thistlethorn. So thank you so much for your for your kind words there. It certainly was a week uh, with lots of affirmation. Uh, in addition to that review, Pete, I know uh, we were both getting tweets, people saying, you know, in response to to some of the the negative reviews that we shared last week. People saying, "No, keep doing what you're doing." Uh, you know, you're right. It wasn't the strongest episode. It's okay to call it that. You know, you don't need to have, you know, three hours of, of, of self-congratulating the show and saying <laughs> everything is wonderful. Um, so it was really wonderful to hear from people to just kind of say, hey, keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep having the conversation that you're having. And it's not that you, you take that criticism to heart because certainly we don't. But, you know, when you put it on iTunes and, and give it here some credence rather than, I don't know, maybe address that in the echo chamber of Twitter or the Internet. It, it's kind of like a last wordy type thing. And I don't know, felt a little uh, felt a little short sighted. Well, Pete, maybe people will be inspired by the by the positiveness of Thistlethorn. Maybe they'll throw throw up their own uh, review for either the Pop Culture Podcast or the Agents of Shield Podcast. You never know, Pete. We can only hope. Well, Pete, speaking of only hopes, some people <laughs> on Twitter, seamless transition, only hope to see your next tweet and the tweet after that and the tweet after that. How can people do so? 
You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R-6000. K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6, 677 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. Uh, we are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the PH. You can catch us on that name on the dot com, the Gmail, the Twitter. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek, all one word with the PH there. Uh, you will never go wrong when you like us. Pete, looking forward to uh, kicking off Jessica Jones this Friday. Uh, no Shield podcast next week on account of no uh, no show. Uh, but we'll just keep on uh, keep on doing our thing with Jessica Jones there Sundays and Thursdays. And uh, before you know it, Pete, we'll be watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. on uh, on that first Tuesday in December and uh, having the podcast up for everybody Wednesday morning. Yeah, really looking forward to uh, getting into Jessica Jones and, and finally being able to bring our listeners into that proper and uh, finishing off S.H.I.E.L.D. here. There's a lot going on. Agent Carter right around the corner well that pete i will say arrivederci or i guess what's german for goodbye it's not gesundheit auf wiedersehen i will say auf wiedersehen to all our listeners especially those who have special secret vaults where you keep the family secrets rock goo and uh give you pete the final word and i will say Ladies and gentlemen, once again, this is your captain up here on the flight deck. I'd like to uh, direct your attention over there to the uh, port side of the aircraft where you'll see the Carpathian Mountains. And once again, uh, all of us here on behalf of Hydra would like to thank you for flying the friendly skies.